Before we start today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to Zencaster, which is a podcaster's best friend. Trust me when I tell you this, Zencaster is like the Shopify for podcasters. It's all you need to get up and running as a podcaster. And the best thing about Zencaster is that you get so much stuff for free. If you are planning to check out the platform, then please show your support for the Founder Thesis podcast by using this link, zen.ai slash founder thesis. That's zen.ai slash founder thesis. Hi, Akshay. I'm uh, Saranj, co-founder and CEO at Nova Benefits. One minute, stop. Ready? Let's go. This could be a great intro. Saranj Garg was made for entrepreneurship. His journey is the quintessential Silicon Valley founder story that starts with his first freemium business being launched straight out of college when he created a free e-book that eventually led him to becoming a best-selling author. He started his career with Bain, a leading local consulting company and then joined Axel, a leading VC fund in their investment team. This served as an ideal launchpad for his first venture that was a part of a VC and raised a Series A round of $12 million. In his current role, Saranj is the co-founder and CEO of Nova Benefits that helps companies improve their employee wellness through better quality health insurance and a host of wellness features. Here's Saranj telling Akshay Dat about his journey of building multiple businesses worth millions of dollars. Then I read this book, Zero to One, uh, uh, which uh, talks about building things from, not doing incremental stuff, but doing things from scratch. Uh, and it also talks about, gives you a framework on how to think about ideas I found that book very inspiring and then you know, I read a bunch of other stuff but that really you know pushed me into going deeper into okay now I I how, I was inspired but kaise karna hai I didn't have a clue yet like you know every anyone who's thinking of starting up needs to figure out a co-founder up with complementary skill sets in my case someone who could actually build the product uh, and then what the idea itself would be I had neither of those so I thought maybe I should join a startup or I should join a VC fund to learn what it takes, what are the ingredients. And uh, I ended up eventually joining Axel. It's, it's a VC fund in, in Bangalore, earliest investors in Flipkart and so forth. And uh, that that was a great stint because as part of joining Axel, I got to speak to several entrepreneurs. And I, I used to think that you have to have like this clarity of thought from day one on what it takes. And I realized you need to have, directionally you need to be right, but it's okay even if you have 30% of the answers on day one. And then about uh, at the end of my, uh, 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 you know, couple of years at Axel, I I found a good, I, I found great co-founders and I started my first company. Uh, this yeah, before before we come to that first company, uh, at Axel, uh, you know, did you uh, form a thesis on who gets funded? And, you know, this is a question in the mind of every aspiring founder that, Will I get funded? Is this good enough to get funding? You know? Yes, yes. Uh, so, so I, I was uh, actually looking at fintech investments for Axel, and I was looking at different uh, sectors and cuts. Uh, so, while there are there are like very business model specific things that you look at, there are broadly a few things that any VC fund and maybe even any founder should look at if they are thinking of starting a venture back company. So, so one thing that, for example, stood out for me was how large the market size should be. I think one one very a, a lot one very sim, non-obvious thing that a lot of companies don't get right is going for a market that's not a very big market. Uh, you, because often you're looking to do something unique, but when you're looking to do something unique, you often end up with a market that is 
either non-existent or very tiny. And it's very hard to find large markets. Large markets broadly mean about a billion dollar in revenue potential. And the reasoning there is like, if a startup kind of earns 10% of uh, that, so you'll make a hundred million dollar revenue business and you'll have like a billion dollar unicorn kind of a company. And what I ultimately understood is either you have a large market on day one and great differentiation so that that market moves to you and it helps if that market is also growing at some pace or you start with a very small market today but you have conviction that over X amount of time frame this is going to become huge and nobody is looking at it in that way. Okay, got it. And uh, what about the other stuff? As you mean, you have discovered a big uh, right. right addressable market yeah so then like yeah quality of founders and stuff like right. that like yeah then the second thing is team it's really about the founders at the earliest of stage so so you need someone who you i i basically think of it as you some one person like the founding team should have the ability to build and then the ability to sell if you have either one of those missing uh you don't have like the right set of uh, co-founders and the complementary skills. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. B- would uh, VCs look to fund where the co-founders have just met? You know, like say um, the way you were thinking that okay, I want to find a co-founder and start something. And uh, so, so do they look at like a history between them, or uh, can you just like? pick up two random people and make a team of three and yeah I mean random meaning like fairly new right 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 I think uh, I'm actually an example of you know where both companies we got back but I didn't have a long pre-existing history with my co-founders but I think it's very important that before you decide that someone is your co-founder you need to develop that working chemistry and relationship and values alignment uh, at least over a three to six month time frame so it doesn't it's not needed that you know the person from long back but you need to have a lot of comfort a lot of time needs to be spent uh uh before you actually uh join a startup and and so it's it's going to be very natural for a vc uh to ask you those questions and you should be able to articulate why you know we've done we are very comfortable with each other this is all the things that we've done so i was in my two years at axel i was always looking for co-founders parallelly uh, Paul Graham of Y Combinator has this really good idea where when you're, when you're thinking of starting up uh, with someone, start working on side projects. It will not be the actual idea. Maybe a thread opens up there. But at least you know what the working equation is going to be as part of that process. When I was at Axel, I was looking at fintech investments and this was like 2016 to 18. We were funding a bunch of lending companies and uh, consumer lending, B2B lending and so forth. And one of the qualification criteria that we used was how good is the collections strategy of the company because in lending it's easy to give money but how well you're able to collect back is what really matters and uh, and there were no companies which were actually just focusing on collections because it's an unsexy industry uh, there are you know nobody wants to be the guy who's kind of calling and asking but it's also a very valuable industry uh, because there's an element of client servicing and relationship with the borrower but also if you're not able to get the money back you don't have a business that exists and so that was our initial thesis you need uh, digital tools to improve the borrower experience of collections while also improving the total collections that a company is able to do Hmm, hmm, hmm. so this was like a SaaS uh, product that they thought of correct 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 Hmm, so hmm. so with this concept in mind we started uh, 
very quickly we realized, you know, this is great, but then, you know, the whole journey of product market fit is quite tricky. But that, but that was the initial insight. And, you know, uh, market size, this was a large market. We were focused on the mm. US market, so mm. market was huge. Mm. So uh, actually, even in my, you know, uh, you know, last few months at Axel, we were already brainstorming this idea. And we had also applied to Y Combinator. And, uh, you know, when we got the interview call, I was like, okay, uh, folks, I really need, I, I want to move out now. Uh, for sure, but I was I was kind of ready to move out even before that. But that was one of the triggers, and then finally quit. We went, uh, we did the interview in San Francisco uh, for YC. And uh, the great thing about YC is, uh, even at the earliest stages, they will back a company, and we fortunately got through that. And you know, yeah, they essentially back founders rather than businesses. I would say both. So they they, they are agnostic. They are. They they also look at business metrics and do it. But yes, even if you're just a few people with an idea, uh, it, has, it, it it's also a path. And we were fortunate uh, to get the YC investment. We spent the next three months in SF through their bootcamp and uh, refined mm. our idea and our pitch and mm. our product value mm. prop. Mm. Mm. Okay. Uh, so what was the, uh, the, the, like, what did you want to build? Was it like a, CRM where you can upload your uh, uh, like a list of people to whom you have loaned money and then it will automate the communication and all. Correct, like, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So our initial ideas were was that uh, today collections are done, uh, you know, there's no uh, intelligence that is used in terms of where the efforts need to be directed. It's just a very human driven process where someone is calling. So we said, okay, we'll start with collection scoring where we will break up uh, the borrower segment into who's more likely to pay. There are basically two variables. How likely is someone uh, ability to pay and intent to pay. These are two metrics which you have to uh, kind of build build a score towards and then based on that you can have a strategy for communication over text, emails, even maybe a phone call and so forth. So our initial hypothesis was text messages aren't being using so let's explore that. Intelligence is not being using so let's do collection analytics. And our third thing was like, today a lot of conversations are happening on the phone. Can we record those conversations and use that data to improve the scoring of ability to score and intent to score? Interestingly, the idea which we thought is least likely to work is the one that actually worked. So, yeah. so, so this was the call recording and uh, uh, using speech analytics. And even there, a slightly different version. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, the story is very interesting. So we, we start off with this idea of text-based collections in the U.S. market. And very quickly, we realized you can't even text people without their permission in the U.S. Oh, okay. And if you do okay, that... It's not like India. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you get like a straight $1,000 fine and so forth. Very quickly, that idea went off the roof. On collection scoring, companies were already doing that. And if they if we wanted to do it for them, they would have to give all of this data to us and it was very like a very long and tedious process. Mm-hmm. On speech, what is collection scoring like? Collection scoring like basically means probability like, of recovery. Like yeah, yeah, it essentially is that you're trying to you're trying to predict who's more likely to pay. Uh, if you have loaned a bunch of money to a bunch of people, what is the actual value of your portfolio? And based on that, what your strategy should be. So uh, uh, on on this uh, on on this. Uh, so yeah, the reason why collection scoring did not kick off is uh, people were already doing that. And if we actually had to do a job better than them, 
they would have to share all of the CRM data with us, which is very risky for a very new company uh, in a very regulated industry. So that didn't take off. So then we came to speech analytics. And, you know, we, we talked about how there is a lot of conversation, like conversational data, which can help uh, predict. All of that was interesting and fancy. But there was a here and now problem that uh, uh, you know, lenders in the US wanted to solve. And that was, there's an entire book of uh, uh, things uh, that a person needs to follow, a collection agent needs to follow. There's a, there are entire rules. For example, even to open a conversation around debt collection, an agent needs to say the purpose of this call is to collect a debt. Anything that you say will be used against you. Now, if that statement is not sent, the, there's a liability on the company collecting the money. And like that, there are 50, 60 other rules. Compliance issues, yeah. And the entire process was manual where a person is going to listen to the call. 2% of calls were listened to and you will kind of say, okay, this was followed, this was not done and then the feedback was given. And we said, we'll, okay, we'll, let's do it for 100% of the calls and let's give instant feedback or at least like within 24 hours. And that started taking off. That became like a wedge in the market because that's a pain point that already existed and people were spending a lot of time and money. And that was actually my first uh, uh, experience of what does it mean about finding that product market fit. You know, you start with a bunch of hypotheses and then you, you have a, you're very convinced that this will work, but it's not until you've not had these 50 to 100 conversations with your, uh, 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 with your clients, uh, you're really not sure what you're doing. And one of the advice, uh, in, in fact, Axel invested in our, uh, in, in the company. One of the advice, uh, uh, our, our partner gave us was that, uh, just speak to 50 to 100 customers. You've not done that yet. Uh, and that really got us on the path of finding the value prop. Mm, okay. Okay. So, uh, but you didn't like continue in that, right? Like, like yes, yes. What so, ha- so, what happened? Mm. Yes, yes. So I I did Prodigal for about uh, eighteen months, and Prodigal is continuing to do well. They've raised their Series A. Me, uh, me personally, I had to move back to India, and this was a more US focused uh, business. So uh, I I kind of took a back seat because it would require me to be in the US, and for personal reasons, I wanted to be in India. So my co-founders are kind of continuing it, and uh, and then I kind of came back and thought like. You know, but you you knew from day one that this is going to be US focused, right? Like what changed? I think uh, initially our idea was that uh, we could run it as a US India setup, uh, where mm, okay. like ops in India and correct, correct. But since I was handling product, uh, often for good product management, you need to be on site and on the location. So so that was one of the things. And I think the other thing was like, you could also have differences in terms of your vision for the company. So, you know, we, we wanted to take the companies in slightly different directions as co-founders. And, and, and so that also meant like, it's more prudent of me to kind of step back because I had a differing idea and for my co-founders to kind of continue and take it forward, which is, which is what we did, mm. ended up doing. It so, so which is where you were talking about that, uh, uh, the importance of alignment of vision of co-founders. Yes, being yes, yes, yes. So I think, uh, I think uh, one of the things as a, uh, as a rookie first time founder, I didn't appreciate as much as how important it is to stay aligned on a day-to-day level. I think uh, that is definitely something that, uh, I, I I took away and uh, uh, I, I respect a lot more uh, in, in my second instant that you need to kind of try and be you have to actively work to stay uh, uh, you know aligned on a 
week to week basis. So for example, in my current company, me and my co-founder, we every week have uh, half an hour sessions just around alignment uh, uh, with no other agenda, just, you know, okay, this is what's happening at my end, this is what's happening at your end. And if there are any open questions that we kind of address. So, so yes, uh, I think that was also something that uh, uh, was, was, was my takeaway. Mm. So, so as co-founders, you need to over-communicate. Yes. And- Make sure that uh, both are aligned. Mm. Correct, correct. You need to almost, uh, uh, yeah, like you said, over communicate. Just set time for it, and, uh, and 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 you know, constantly stay aligned uh, on on all aspects of the business. Mm. Got it. Okay, okay. So uh, when you came back to India, did you get some sort of exit from that, or like? Yeah. So so in uh, in 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 startups, you have like a you know you have a vesting schedule, and then you know whatever equity is unvested. Uh, goes back to the company and whatever is vested kind of stays with you. I chose to continue to hold my share in the company. Big believer, prodigal. Uh, my co-founders are building a great team and they're taking the company forward. Uh, and, and so that's how kind of my, uh, 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 so, you know, I, I, I kind of, I'm like a cheerleader for the company. And uh, <laughs> this vesting thing is basically a way to make sure that uh, those who stick around in the long haul get more equity, like like it takes care of that, like the duration. Yes, yes. I, th- I think vesting is a great mechanism of ensuring that uh, uh, for the value you've created, you are kind of compensated and the value which you might have created or are not able to create, that goes back to the company which then, you know, can be reallocated. So I think it's a great balancing uh, mechanism uh, in that sense, yes. Okay, so then, like, what what did you figure out to do? So I met Yash, uh, my co-founder. I met him through a friend from IIT Bombay. Uh, he and Yash were colleagues in Samsung Korea. Uh, uh, Yash is from IIT Delhi, and he has that computer science background. We uh, once we got once we met, we said, okay, let's do a side project. And both of us would be quite into it. We would always turn up on time. We would we started having daily catch up sessions. So if, if the person you're thinking of starting up with is actually not just talking in terms of words, but is also giving time and, uh, you know, helping you think through ideas and you're actually, it's just, you actually spending time and investing. I think that's what I started seeing, both Yash and I started seeing with each other. And we spent that three, four months uh, brainstorming, ideating, building stuff together. And at some point we became very comfortable with each other and we said, hey, why don't we, let's just, Know, startup and so forth and that's how it kind of happened and uh, tell me about the hunt for the right idea like yeah that was that was quite interesting so uh we started putting ideas on a spreadsheet uh at some point we have six we had like 66 ideas and it wasn't going anywhere uh it, it kind of felt like this academic exercise but uh, there's a company that we had to start and we weren't able to make much progress so then we said okay, let's find a common area of interest, financial services. So we just looked at, started looking at ideas in financial services. Uh, even then, we there was lending, payments, investing, you know, insurance and so forth. Then we added a bunch of criteria. So our first criteria was how passionate are we about each of these problem statements. Both Yash and I would scale rank ideas on a scale of 1 to 10 and any idea where the average was less than 6, we eliminated the next one was how large is the market? And then the next one after that was, is there day one monetization? We were starting during COVID time and 
the sentiment wasn't great for starting new companies uh, back then. And we said there should be like money should be made on day one. We didn't want an idea which will you know take some time and then you monetize uh, that kind of an environment. Uh, and then the next thing was like, uh, what is the delta we can create in terms of an experience? There's Kunal Shah's famous delta four theory. Something very similar to that. Can we do some? What What is that theory? Can you just talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So Kunal Shah, he basically says that uh, uh, if you are able to provide a Delta 4 experience to a customer, and he basically says Delta 4 is a level of differentiated experience, that once the customer has tried back, he will not go back to the old, older way of doing it. For example, Uber and Ola had that Delta 4 because you could press a button, you could get into a cab, and you don't even have to pay because it gets automatically adapted. Once you've experienced that, you will never go back to uh, the old, older way of doing it. And th that's what we felt we could create in the employee wellness and corporate health insurance space. And that's how... Uh, so these these were essentially, you know, like the four parameters uh, on which we took the entire set of ideas as a grinder. And then we finally, you know, narrowed down to uh, insurance. And then within that, we focused on health insurance because of COVID and 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 then like, you know, we ran a bunch of experiments to figure out that B2B was the right way to do it instead of B2C. But that was basically the framework uh, we used. Mm, okay. So, uh, like you wanted to do health insurance, like uh, the uh, customer experience in general, or did you like figure out that there is more pain in the corporate side? Yes. Yes. So, uh, so, so when we, we were actually looking at insurance, there was motor insurance and health insurance. These were the two big markets. But because COVID happened, all the cars were locked up and everyone was thinking about health. We started thinking about health insurance as well. And then uh, whether to do B2C and B2B, we ran an experiment. We asked people that, you know, you pay us for our time, pay us uh, an hourly rate. We'll save you the uh, effort it takes to figure out which policy to buy. And, uh, and uh, you know, you... You know, we'll, we'll help you decide and you pay us uh, for that, uh, for our time. And uh, what ended up happening is we had like five people pay us like 500 bucks and we had one company pay us 15,000 bucks uh, because that company was taking it for some 30 employees. And what we realized is that it's much easier to go down the B2B path. It takes less effort. You're covering a larger number of people. And that's why we uh, kind of doubled down on the B2B side. We also looked at data. Most people in India are covered by their employers first. Even my, if I go back, my first health insurance was through BCG. So, uh, 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 you know, the, the, the most people in India are, are going to get covered through their employer first and then they'll take additional insurance. So that's why uh, uh, we went down that route. And also like the existing solutions were pretty bad on the B2B side. On B2C, you still had some platforms. But on B2B side, you just had these offline traditional brokers where it's super complicated and there's no transparency. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. So the role of tech here would have been in terms of uh, creating a e-commerce like experience to compare different policies and choose one in your cart and then check out like that was the role of tech in this? Actually, so so we, uh, we first just spoke to like, you know, 100 HRs and tried to understand what's the real problem over here. We realized that, yes, the buying process is uh, uh, difficult. Uh, so there's no transparency on what the right pricing is. So very, that across insurers, there could be like a 50, 100% pricing. And, and it's also not a standardized product. 
like a B2C policy. Every company has their own policy and you have to kind of take that into account and give a price. The second problem was the claims experience is bad. Uh, people don't have transparency on when the claims will get done. Uh, if there are certain deductions from the expected claim amount, why those deductions are there. Uh, and, you know, a lot of back and forth that goes on between this. So the customer servicing part was broken. For the HR, every month they have to add new employees and remove uh, the ones who've left the organization onto the policy. That process was entirely manual. And, uh, and, and, and then one, another insight that we had is that ultimately health insurance is given by a company to retain their talent. Uh, and if you want to retain your talent, you're giving a benefit that is only taking care of. Like health insurance is used only by 5 to 10% of people who are actually falling sick. But there are a bunch of other employee wellness initiatives that you can do as an organization so that everyone in the company feels like they've gotten a benefit. And, and that kind of led us to realize that what we need to build is an employee wellness company where health insurance is one part of it, but there's doctor consultations, there's mental health, there's day-to-day -day fitness. And all of these pieces together then ensure that uh, uh, all employees feel taken care of and uh, it helps the company in its goal of retaining its talent. Okay. How would the non-insurance pieces be monetized? Like uh, doctor consultation, fitness, right? Like, like you, you thought of charging extra for that? or like the... Correct. Uh, there, there is a willingness in companies to pay for it as well. Because especially during COVID, people weren't able to access a physical doctor, and a lot of uh, uh, a lot of these consultations were happening on the phone. So a lot of companies were purchasing these teleconsultation solutions. Uh, another model could be like you know where the company gives this access, employees do the first call for free, and then you can you know charge for the next call after that experience has been uh, made. So there are these various forms of monetizing of that, both the company paying or like a mix of company paying and then the employee paying and mm -hmm. so forth. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So what was your uh, uh, like product version one and how did you go to market? Yeah, so, so our V1 was uh, very simple. Uh, we, we basically uh, created a great UI in front end of uh, uh, helping people just... Uh, more than it was not even the buying process. It was more first uh, on uh, on the once the buying the the the, the purchase has been done, uh, where where uh, all the employees have a mobile app and a web app on which they can see the insurance policy. They can see what's covered, what's not covered in the policy very transparently, and then they can also track the claim status. The HR can see at a company level, and an employee can see for their individual level. And we also kind of integrate with HRMS systems of companies to automate the addition deletion process. So this was like the V1. Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. So essentially then it was more about helping them manage their existing health insurance better. Correct. Like yes. just the V1. Correct. Okay. Correct. Correct. Okay. Taking the pain uh, mm -hmm. of not having claims done on time and this enrollment process. Uh, uh, that was essentially the V1. Yes. Yes. Mm, okay. Okay. So this this was more like a, a benefits approach rather than a selling insurance approach, at least in V1. Like you were yes. not. Uh, yes. 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 It was more experience. Uh, we were solving for uh, customer experience uh, in, 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 our, in our V1. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. And uh, so for uh, like tracking claims and stuff like that, like how did you get all that data? Like, 
the insurance companies did an API integration or like how, yes. how did you get access to that part? Yes, yes. So initially, you know, you can always set up a manual process where you, you're picking the information from a very old school database and then you're just manually feeding it into your system. But now we've started the process of integrating with insurance companies and TPAs, which gives that information more readily and on, at a higher frequency. Okay, okay, okay. And for the insurance company, uh, you were essentially a, uh, like a, a like a experience partner. Yeah, correct, correct, correct. I, I see it very similar to neo banks, uh, where they would work with a, a insurance comp. Sorry, a bank, uh, existing bank. Yeah, uh, uh, but like create the entire experience part of it. So I think that's like uh, that was like our V one as well, where we're working with insurance companies, but uh, improving the experience for uh, our clients now however our vision is much bigger where we are we, we are building the entire employee wellness stack so we are ensuring that uh, all the health and wellness related needs of a company not just when someone falls sick but even when to encourage them to stay healthy uh, they can get through nova Hmm. So, so tell me like a chronological sequence of how this evolved you know so in v1 i guess you were not uh, really selling insurance products per se but you were selling a wellness package i guess with, with those other benefits that you mentioned that, that was what you were selling in v1 so so v1 was more like the ui layer just for health insurance and if, if a company wanted to purchase other benefits we could facilitate that for hmm. them uh, so this you would have been giving away free, right? Because uh, there was no monetization in this. Correct, correct, correct. Uh, we we did get our we we now like a licensed insurance broker. So now uh, when you're a licensed insurance broker, the way you earn money is uh, the insurance companies pay you a commission and uh, on the premium collected. Correct, correct. So that's like the mm-hmm. business model for mm-hmm. the company. And mm-hmm. uh, and then like uh, if companies want to add other benefits other than health insurance, we can facilitate that as well for them. So that was like V2. So in V2, because uh, as we spoke to HRs in terms of uh, why they're really giving health insurance and what are the other challenges they're trying to solve, uh, we got to know that, okay, there are all of these other wellness offerings uh, that they're looking for. And uh, with us, we become like a single point of contact where all of their needs Hmm. are being met. If you like to hear stories of founders, then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion-dollar businesses. Just search for the Founder Thesis Podcast on any audio streaming app like Spotify, Ghana, Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the show. So, did you... uh... Uh, did you like integrate with other companies for those other needs like say teleconsulting uh, uh, like you know or, or did you like build all of these in-house correct correct so our approach uh, so as as a startup you can't build everything and it's not even wise to do because you need uh, you need to stay focused so our approach has been in, to partner with companies uh, that are already great at doing it and and that's what we've been doing so so on the doctor consultation side we are working with Practo and Fine Medibuddy uh, on the health checkup side, we're working with companies like Xyla Health and uh, Cube. Uh, and, uh, and and similarly, we are exploring other partnerships for other offerings mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And so you would be able to aggregate services from two, three different partners and then sell it at a like a monthly subscription fees, which would be including multiple services for yes, a corporate. Yes. So it becomes so we can, easy we can, for a corporate. We, we can go to a 
to a corporate and design like what is the right gamut of employee wellness benefits that would make sense for them and then operationalize it as well for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, what was your go-to market? Like how did you onboard customers? How did you acquire customers? Yeah, so uh, I think uh, uh, in the B2B side, uh, you you essentially have like your inbound and your outbound channels. So on the, uh, you know, in, inbound channels, you do a bunch of SEO, SEM, uh, uh, you know, we... We're quite active on LinkedIn as well. And based on that, you get inbound leads and then you have your inside sales team, which is speaking to clients and converting. And then on the outbound side, you reach out to the right decision makers in the companies. You set up meetings and then you give a demo and then you try and win that account. So it's the standard you know, B2B sales process uh, that we are following as well. I think what's interesting is just the number of channels that are out there uh, for building your brand and uh, uh even to kind of generate leads is expanding. And so we're, we're always kind of playing, uh, kind of try to learn in terms of what's working out there and uh, uh, try to uh, execute that at our end as well. So uh, what is your uh, uh, sweet spot in terms of uh, organization? Like what sector or what headcount, you know, like? Yeah, yeah. So we, we work with uh, companies, uh, you know, as small as even seven employees. Uh, and all the way up to you know, 2,000, 3,000 employees as well. We've got clients like uh, Dream11, CoinDCX, FarmEasy, and, and and the likes. So, you know, a very high growth startup uh, just uh, getting started to all the way as, uh, you know, medium-sized companies we are working mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so, like, mostly uh, on, like, Tech companies, or do you also do like say manufacturing and like yeah, other old yeah. school businesses? Like, yeah, we, we, we like to say employee first companies. Any company which is putting culture first uh, is thinking from a very HR centric lens, and it, it need not be tech companies. Well, yes, there's a great overlap, but we found like several manufacturing companies as well. We, we found lots of IT services companies as well who are thinking from that lens. So, those are the like more progressive employers. Uh, who are really try to uh, who, who care about employer branding? Who really care about the employees and uh, are investing in their HR practices? Uh, those are the ones that we work with. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Okay. So uh, let's like continue down that product journey. So in V two, you added on uh, the the suit of benefits that could be purchased. So uh, when did you do stuff like launching the app for employees to manage on their own and stuff like that? Like Yes, yes. So, uh, you know, initially we just had a web app uh, where uh, uh, kind of HRs and employees could start using. But, you know, the natural question that HR started asking us is, there's a, is there a mobile version of it that we can access and so forth? And we would say that, yes, uh, you know, you could download, you, you, we would say, yes, you could just go to the your, uh, yeah. mobile browser, browser and then log yeah. from there but that was also not good enough and we had this request of can we actually have a mobile app as well so we executed on that in both on iOS and Android now uh, 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 we have we have clients over there but that was not needed on day one on day one we just had a web so app that app is basically for the user like the employee correct yes okay. that, that is for the employee of the company the HR as an admin can also access but it's uh, more, more meant for the employees as well so that uh, they can see all the benefits that a company is giving and also start utilizing, making claims and uh, track them and get them completed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So so that becomes their 
one-stop shop to see what all do I get when I Correct. join this company. Like, it should be like, you know, an employee joins a company, it should feel like they've entered the matrix, they've pressed a button and like there's a superpower in terms of benefits that they can now be plugged into. That's the feeling we're trying to create. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the, uh, are we at, at the present stage now? Like this is the most recent uh, yes, yes. This is the this okay. is, we, we, we're at present. We, we're 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 only 15, 18 months uh, old. Yes, but we, yes, we are, but this is where we are right now. Mm-hmm. So, what's the roadmap like in terms of what do you think you will build next in the product? Yeah. So, uh, so our long term goal is to create happier and healthier workplaces uh, in, in India. One of the things that I see happening is because as the startup economy is growing. There's a lot of pressure on people because of the hustle culture and kind of uh, executing at a rapid pace. We want to be an antithesis on that. We want to bring, uh, uh, you know, employee wellness and, uh, you know, work-life balance back into the picture. Otherwise, we run the risk of all burning out uh, and this not being sustainable. Uh, And the way we are trying to do things differently is make benefits simple to use and personalized uh, down to, to every individual. And that will happen when everyone in the company feels like the company has noticed me, given me something that I actually use and I've benefited from it and it's improving my health and wellness, not just for me, but for my family members as well. So that's the goal with which uh, we are building all of our services. Essentially, you're like a uh, HR help desk for an employee, but focus more on health, health and, and wellness. Benefit. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, 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 mm-hmm. yes. Okay. And what about, uh, you know, like you spoke about making people fitter by giving them tips or like, you know, gamifying fitness or like, say, helping people to quit smoking and stuff like that. It's not yet out, but we're trying to see how we can help people set fitness goals and gamify that and add a social layer to it so that uh, there's like uh, a healthy discussion happening on things other than work uh, within a company, which is also like an HR pain point on how do I get my... uh, employees to be talking to each other outside of work as well mm, mm-hmm. so people could use the app to for example form a badminton club and uh, stuff like that L- like more social uh, element could uh, could come into the app like correct correct so uh, 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 at, at least they will all be able to set their goals and then be encouraged by their team members uh, to move towards those goals and then also get rewarded for it as well so yeah that's the direction we're thinking in Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, uh, like, w- what's been uh, the uh, traction so far? Like, you know, when you uh, launched, uh, how many employees were you signing up every month? What is that rate like right now? Like, tell me about how how the numbers have grown. Correct. Correct. So, uh, I think in our uh, in our first month, we had had like you know like two or three companies, about uh, twenty employees each. So about. Uh, 60 employees were being added. But then in month four, we started seeing that even the biggest companies out there, like the largest brokers, clients were already shifting from them to us. And we were actually quite surprised that we are a new kid on the block and uh, these clients are already having a not so good experience with the largest companies out there. Uh, and and then since then, we've kind of now scaled up to almost 100,000 people covered on our platform, more than 200. Is it like a, is the migration easy to do? Like, y- Say I, I already have an existing yeah, corporate good, health good. insurance. Mm. The the thing is because the, the the competition that we face are not SaaS companies. They are like traditional brokers. They've not really built any stickiness with their clients. So uh, 
it's it, there's no rip and replacement here. There's a very simple replacement that can happen where we come in and it's a very smooth transition. And even claims from the previous insurer are taken over by us and we help process those. So we've not faced that challenge. Um, mm. Uh, I mean, even in terms of technically, like getting that data, there that, is no that's tech. like friendly. There, there, there. So, so to get that, so uh, in terms of how the uh, how that switch happens is uh, the way insurance companies price an insurance policy. They look at what what is the risk profile of the group, and for that they ask for three pieces of data: the last year policy copy, which has the terms and condition, the present day demographics of employees, like date of birth, age, gender, and so forth. And then what was the claims history so that they can assess the risk profile. And then based on that, a pricing is given and and then the uh, client decides whether to, uh, you know, switch or not switch or continue with the existing. So those are the three documents that are very easy to get. Uh, you know, but the insurance companies and brokers are obligated to give it to a client. So they just need to request that goes out to all the companies that might be competing for the business of a client. And then uh, based on that, the client finally decides uh, based on value propositions, the tech platform and price in terms of who they want to go with. Hmm. Okay, but, but this switch will only happen at the time of renewal, not like mid-years. Yes, yes. So yes, yes. It's it's, it's a one-year, typical contracts are a one-year contract. Uh, uh, and, and so it typically happens once in a year, yes. Hmm. Hmm. Got it. Okay, okay. And uh, how do you help insurance companies to onboard? Like you said, even a company with like say 10 employees. Uh, so I, I guess uh, typically insurance companies don't really deal with that size companies, no? So, so there are a bunch of insurance companies that are quite comfortable with, uh, you know, uh, seven to 10 employees as well. And uh, what has been missing is uh, someone who's responsive to a person, to, 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 to a client where they ask for a quote and they can get quick answers. They want to change policy terms. They understand the price implication. Insurance companies are not structured to do that yet on the B2B side. Uh, and uh, there's a long lag time. And then you also need comparisons across insurers. So that's where we come in and bring that transparency and bring that experience uh, for uh, for companies. Okay. So you basically uh, have this brokerage license which allows you to sell insurance policies of all insurers. Yeah. And then you collect details of policy offerings of each one and then productize those details into easy to compare, uh, like yes. in an easy to compare format so that yes. uh, customers are then able to do the decision making in a hassle free manner. Mm. Correct. Mm. Correct. Mm. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Mm. Okay. And do uh, do the insurance companies customize policies for you or there's like a off the shelf like yeah. uh, policies are already made and uh, Correct, correct. So so the interesting thing about corporate health insurance policy, unlike B2C policies, all the policy terms can be changed. So every company has their own policy. For example, one variable is what is the family definition? Are you covering only employees or spouse and children or parents as well? Uh, another uh, criteria could be like, what is the sum in short? 3 lakh, 5 lakh, 10. Room rent limits, uh, co-payments, waiting periods and so forth. So all of these are modifiable parameters. For a company taking it for the first time, what we tell them is like, look, these are five other startups like you. This is what they're going for and this is what you should kind of try and do. For a company that is much larger, they already have a set of policy. We tell them that, uh, you know, these are certain improvements you could make in the policy. We also give them other benchmarks. And then we consult them as to this would be the right uh, set of benefits to give and help them mm -hmm. in that process. Mm -hmm. 
Got it. Got it. Okay. 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 And uh, so uh, you know, we were talking of the uh, the uh, numbers in terms of traction. So now, like, what what is your like? Uh, how many editions do you have every month? Like, how many employers sign up? Yeah. So uh, I think uh, I could tell you the overall numbers. So you know, we've now got about more than two hundred clients and about a hundred thousand lives on our platform that that are in short. Mm-hmm. And uh, your earning is uh, only through the commission and premium, or are you also selling those value-added services? And yes, the- right, right now our main earning is uh, through the commissions. Right now we're just acting as a facilitator for other offerings. Uh, but maybe later down the line we will explore some of those options as well. But our main source of uh, earning is through the commissions from the insurance companies. Okay, okay, okay. So, so these value-added uh, services, you are just. Uh, like building a pipe for the uh, of the service providers and the employers to get connected. Correct, correct, correct. We are right now solving for experience becoming a single platform where they can access everything. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Got it. Okay, okay. And w- what what do you earn like for every policy sold? Like what what does your unit economics look like? Right, right. So typically, uh, 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 insur- in in the corporate health insurance space, you roughly earn about a margin of five percent for uh, on average uh, for insurance policies that you send. Uh, the, the, and uh, yeah, that's essentially the business model. So whatever is the policy amount, uh, about five percent is what we kind of earn. And uh, I guess the average policy amount would be like uh, between five to ten thousand. I guess something like that annual. So uh, at at a client level, you can say like about uh, you know ten lakhs, uh, uh, twenty lakh in that kind of a range, and then uh, per employee it would roughly be about five thousand rupees per employee. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes, right, right, right. Got it. Okay, okay. So and uh, what's your plan in terms of uh, uh, growing customer base, like your customer acquisition roadmap? Yes. So so we want to. Uh, by 2025, we expect to be going growing from a base of 100,000 to 10, 10 million people in short uh, through our platform. So that's the journey kind of we are on right now and building towards that. Mm-hmm. Like in what ways? Like, uh, like do you have some, like, you know, for example, do you want to do like a TV ad or do you want to get a celebrity influencer or like, you know, what's the plan there in terms of? Oh, honestly, uh, I don't know. Uh, I still have to figure it out. That's the question I'm asking. But some of the things, I think definitely building a brand is one part of it. Uh, so that people, like the baby message uh, and mm, how, how we can get people's attention about how we're doing, that's definitely one part of it. Uh, but also in terms of how we could add value in our sales process itself by giving companies benchmarks, by uh, telling them what they could be improving in the in their policy. Uh, if let's say Omicron is happening, what does it mean in terms of risk for them and so forth? The more specific channels, uh, uh, you know, like what channels will actually help us get there is something we have to figure out. We found a mix of, uh, you know, inbound and outbound helping uh, uh, as well. Uh, and, you know, the larger the company gets, you need to have a more higher touch sales process uh, as well. There'll be more decision makers and you have to kind of speak to all of them uh, and that's that's kind of what we are uh, doing. Uh, yeah, is it uh, is the product built to be self checkout or it's built to be sold with a consultant, like a consultative call, and then? Yes, yes. So for uh, smaller companies, uh, for like uh, you know less than hundred employees, we even have a calculator, so you can almost do a self checkout. 
uh, we've not yet closed the loop where you will make the payment because we found like people still want to call. It's still a two lakh, three lakh kind of amount, so they still want to speak to someone on the phone uh, before closing out on that. For larger companies, for policies which are more than five lakh, people expect a consultant. They want to have lots of iterations on their policy terms, so it 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 is like a human in the loop in the selling process. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you are collecting data and. Does that data give you any unfair advantage, or does it help you build a better moat? Because you're getting data of um, employees of the corporate, what kind of claims they are making, what is the claim settlement ratio, and stuff like that. Does that generate to some sort of a flywheel for you? So uh, I think uh, I, I, I think in terms of data, it helps in terms of capturing the risk of uh, you know what the uh, you know what is the risk of the population. But that data is available to everyone because during the renewal process, that data is uh, available to everyone. What is more interesting is, and that's not happening in the industries, when you receive the data, how are you analyzing it and giving insights to the client? So, for example, telling a company that, hey, you have a large base of people who are in, uh, uh, you know, in the 25 to 35 age group, but you don't have a maternity policy. So you, you might want to add that or... Uh, uh, l- let's say you have a large number of claims coming from parents and it's happening because employees are not being very discerning in terms of the expenditure that the company is taking. So maybe you want to have like a co-payment of 5 to 10% so that employees also have some skin in the game when they're deciding which hospital to go out. I think that that the, the, how, how to use that data itself uh, much better is something that can be done. I think over a longer period of time, what you could do more interestingly is, for example, if there are employees who are not making any claims, uh, could you reward them in some way? Because, you know, they're not uh, really benefiting from the policy. For example, could you sell them a personal health policy which comes without any waiting periods? Those are some interesting things that can be looked at uh, with that data. I don't think it's going to be a moat. Everyone's going to have access to it. But it's more on how you analyze that and create unique value propositions for the client. Uh, That's going to be the more interesting part. Mm. Yeah, essentially, this data would help at renewal time. Like when the client is renewing, then you can give them uh, like AI-generated recommendations. Right. Right. right absolutely. Mm. Yes. 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 Okay. That, that these are the terms that you should incorporate when you renew and stuff. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. 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 For for example, one of our other role is that healthcare costs are rising, and. Uh, and, and, and so there will always be a cost inflation on the premium next year. But how, how could we help a company to flatten that cost curve by suggesting certain recommendations? For example, uh, if, if let's say there's another third wave of COVID expected, uh, how about taking a lower cost COVID policy and have the COVID claims be booked on that policy so that uh, the main policies claims ratios don't shoot up too much? So there are some of these permutation combinations which can help the company give the benefit but also flatten the cost curve. Mm, mm, Right, right. Uh, How do you enable a smoother claims experience for employees? Yes, so I think uh, uh, on the claims part, you would think that it is all about reducing time but it's also about expectations and reality. Uh, So so the, the thing is like people expect that claims will happen at a certain time and then they don't happen, which is why they have a bad experience. What has been missing is a Zomato and Swiggy like order tracking flow. Uh, when tell, this is when I'll get it. This is where my this is the stage where it's at. stage mm-hmm. where it. Uh, so you know that first that is the level of transparency that is needed. 
then if there are if there are certain deductions that will happen in the policy a person needs to know why it is what does my policy terms say based on that this is why uh, a certain deduction has been made in the policy so for example one of the most misunderstood policy terms is room rent limits uh, there's a clause let's say a 5 lakh policy and it will have like a room rent capping of uh, let's say 5000 rupees now someone has stayed at a 10000 rupee room for 5 days so the assumption is theek hai 25000 kam milega on a total bill of let's say 5 lakhs however uh, the whole uh the billing system of a hospital is like a restaurant ac mein khaya to jyada and non ac mein khaya to kam to agar aapne 10000 ka room liya aapke sare charges bad jate hain but since you are only eligible for half the room on a 5 lakh bill you'll only be paid 2 and a half lakhs and, and, and this is important to even consult a client when they are purchasing the policy the first time around and let's say if, you know they've taken a policy which has only a 5000 rupee room rent limit that needs to be explained to the employee that look this is the reason why a certain reduction has happened so i think that transparency on that step awareness on day one even like for example when the employee is choosing which room to go after can we consult and tell him then and there that look this is the policy term and this is the recommended option basis that so these are all the experience uh, gaps on the claims front that we are mm-hmm. Uh, what about uh, like taking care of the paperwork? I, I know like filing claims needs a lot of paperwork. You need to collect all the bills and then Correct. submit those bills and yes. all that. Yes. So so we provide a claims concierge who is on the call with the employee and handholding them through every step of the way. Today uh, they can upload documents on our mobile app. We do like a check if everything is through. And like they can just click it. using the mobile camera and. Correct. Uh, Correct. Now okay. there are some insurers which are. Uh, processing claims just based on uh, uh, soft copies there are some insurers which are still requiring you to physically courier the documents but i think the industry is moving in the direction where it will be completely paperless and you can just take photos and get it done if you that. like the founder thesis podcast then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing technology career advice books and drama visit the podium.in that is t h e p o d iun.in for a complete list of all our shows before we end the episode i want to share a bit about my journey as a podcaster i started podcasting in 2020 and in the last 2 years i've had the opportunity to interview more than 250 founders who are shaping india's future across sectors if you also want to speak to the best minds in your field and build an enviable network then you must consider becoming a podcaster and the first step to becoming a podcaster starts with zencaster which takes care of all the nuts and bolts of podcasting from remote recording to editing to distribution and finally monetization if you are planning to check out the platform then please show your support for the founder thesis podcast by using this link zen.ai/founderthesis that's zen.ai/founderthesis